Well, it's a good question what's really going on and how did it happen is the question I'm still wrestling with because we really don't know how it happened. The Norfolk Naval Base at the time was the world's largest, I think, and certainly our most important naval station in the world. Um, so how did that happen that NATO just came in apparently, I mean, seemingly behind the scenes and just scooped it up and took control of it um, with no, no media, no black, total blackout on any media attention, no congressional oversight. You know, our ancestors way back uh, you know, in 1620 came here to get away from the monarchy and get away from that European style of life. And they wanted something different. They wanted some freedom and some ability to have their own country that was theirs. Um, and here we are now losing this piece of our, this piece of our sovereignty. Carbon-60, or C-60, first gained notoriety back in 2012 from a study that increased the lifespan of rats by a whopping 90%. Since that breakthrough study, scientists have conducted thousands of studies showing C-60 not only has a very real potential extending lifespan, but it also has been shown to be better than any other substance ever studied to reduce inflammation, eliminate free radicals, provide powerful antioxidants, and more. After the famous rat study, scientists at Live Longer Labs realized a human, not industrial, formula needed to be made. That's when they set out to be the first lab in the world to focus on what is best for human consumption of C60. This led Live Longer Labs to pioneer a high-quality, 99.9% .9 pure C60 refined without solvents in oils that work best for humans, and that is black seed oil. Look it up yourself. Black seed oil has been known as a universal healer for millennia, and more modern studies confirmed its benefits as a potent antioxidant and for anti-inflammation. Simply, it's not like other oils. It's better. To try this amazing product, go to sarahwestall.com under shop. Remember, members of Ebeneer save 10%, and all listeners can save 5% using the coupon found at sarahwestall.com under shop. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Rini Parsons coming to the program. She is, well, she's going to talk about her background. She has congressional experience, worked in congressional offices. She was on the board of the ACLU. She's just done a lot of things through her career. And we are going to talk this time about a very serious subject, about NATO taking over Norfolk Navy base and what that means to us. This is the Great Reset in action. Basically, if you want an unelected thug group to have a complete dictatorship over the world, well, you have really no recourse. Not that we have that much now, but we have a lot more recourse than we'll have if they get their way with this Great Reset. They want a worldwide dictatorship where they control everything and you have absolutely no recourse and they don't care about you in any way shape or form other than to serve them and they've made that clear in their writings and their planning yeah there's a lot of people around them who don't understand the plan and they think it's good and all these things but <laughs> don't be fooled because that's how they operate and this is another step in that direction to take over our sovereignty, to remove our sovereignty. And it's very serious. It's very much like the, the WHO amendments or the WHO treaty that they're trying to put through, but they're s slowly taking over, I don't, maybe quickly 
taking over our military and taking over our largest Navy base is very serious. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss what you can do to help. There's a link below where you can find out more about this and also help us get more information. That's what we're in right now is an information phase of trying to figure out exactly what happened here. And Rini put together a call to action, which is actually going pretty viral. And I posted it on my website this weekend, this past weekend, and it's getting making its rounds. But I'm hoping that these videos make it farther and wider and we get people involved. I want this to be an election. We need this to be an election issue this year and that we hold both parties, all parties. I mean, this makes everyone look bad. This isn't just a Democrat issue. This is a both Republican and Democrat. Fox News didn't talk about it. The Republican senators and congressmen haven't talked about it. So what's really going on here? And that's what we're going to get to the bottom of. Okay, and before I get into this, I just want to remind you to sign up for my newsletter at sarahwestall.com. Look at my affiliates. I have the best products for you to help you become healthier and more secure with your family, you know, like with buying gold and silver. And then also building up your immune system is more than just taking vitamins. It's taking the quality vitamins that's going to absorb and the fulvic acid and coming from places where the soils are appropriate so that you get the minerals that you need. And so I have sources of that on my website at my shop and you will just find the best, best products. So please visit there. That's how I keep this, this show going. Okay. Let's get into this really important discussion with Rini Parsons. Rini, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you, Sarah. Good to be here. We have some important things to talk about. It's something I've wanted to talk about for a while. We're going to talk about the Navy being taken over by NATO. And we're going to talk about the secret mm -hmm. or the secret just kind of is the senior executive service in our government and how they're behind a lot mm -hmm. of things like the Navy being taken over by NATO. But before we mm -hmm. get into this, I want to talk about your extensive background in politics and you worked with the Congress for a little bit. You, you know, mm -hmm. you worked in uh, local politics. You even worked for the ACLU that's mm -hmm. now a captured organization, captured. which you, gets very captured, which mm -hmm. is so sad because it was uh, such a pillar of democracy. And, you know, they were actually a classical liberal organization that, that mm -hmm. fought for freedom of speech the landmark case of Nazis walk, uh, marching through Skokie, which they defended the Nazis marching through Skokie, a Jewish lawyer, and that opened it up and said, you need, he, and he always said, because he was my dad's high school friend in college, he always said, his name is Butch, that's his uh, his nickname, but he, he says uh, that you got to defend, and this is what the founder said, you got to defend the worst of us if you want your freedoms to exist. That's what the ACLU believed back then. Now... They're captured. Can you tell us how they got yeah. captured? I think this is well, a great story. I'm a First Amendment lover. The First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason. It wasn't an accident that the First Amendment became the First Amendment. People really need to recognize that. <clears throat> and um, that's what attracted me to the ACLU. So I've always been a fan of the ACLU. And by the time I went to the ACLU, which was probably late 2015, I want to say, but my understanding is, is that 
by the middle of the summer of 2016, George Soros gave them $50 million. They had not yet recovered. This is a national organization now, not the Florida. I was with the Florida Board of Directors. Um, and uh, they had not recovered. The ACLU had not yet recovered from 2008 financial collapse. Some of their biggest funders were not able to um, come back come to them with the, the same amount that they had in the past. So they were kind of hurting financially, they thought. And so along came Soros, who, of course, is never hurting financially, it appears. And so from that summer of 2016, they changed pretty dramatically on a national scale. And the kind of issues that they handled, they weren't taking anymore. I mean, even today, during the COVID time, I think we saw them defending the mandates, for instance, which was just horrifying to watch. So they are not the same organization, just like the Democrats are not the same organization they were back in the day. Well, Cynthia McKenney says mm -hmm. that I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Yeah, exactly. She, she was always a symbol of the Democratic Party until she went, well, looked around and said, this isn't the Democratic Party that I joined. Okay. And now it's worse, way worse oh, than what yeah. she was talking it's, about. It, yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. They've crossed the, crossed the line. They they crossed the line into something mm -hmm. that anybody with some thinking and critical thinking skills left. And not just because they want to be part of a team or a cult, but they can actually think about why they joined it in the first place or why they're here. Anybody who still has those critical thinking skills would be like, wait a minute, this is not the party that it used to be. Yeah. <clears throat> I like to say that I... um. I walked away before the walk away movement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was a long, for me, it was a long process. So um, I didn't do it overnight. And if um, I can tell you that in 2000, I did not vote for Al Gore. I was living in Colorado at the time. Um, so I was not in Florida. So I wasn't going to cost them the election. But um, I did not vote for Al Gore because I knew him when he was in the house. Um, because I was working for Friends of the Earth at that time uh, on nuclear issues. And his issue was something that I was working against. And that was the Clint River Breeder Reactor. It was in his home district in Tennessee. And so he was a total supporter, even though he ran for president as Mr. Environment. Um, he was a total supporter of the Clint River Breeder Reactor. Uh, so I knew him somewhat. And I didn't find him actually very personable or friendly. Uh, maybe it's because we were on different sides of the camp at that time. But I so I knew him. And then, of course, he went into the Senate. So I didn't vote for him. And I was I voted for, I voted for Ralph. Ralph Nader was on the ballot and I thought he would be a really great president. And then two, four years later, John Kerry was running. And I thought he ran even a ter more terrible race than than what um, what uh, Gore ran. Um, and so I didn't vote for him either. Anyway, it's a long process. I can tell you a story if you'd like to hear it about David Brower, who was at the time back in the day, was the um, um, gave birth to the Friends of the Earth group. And he had been executive director with the Sierra Club. And so <clears throat> when I went to work for Friends of the Earth, <clears throat> he took me aside and he said to me, and he was a strong environmentalist. He was a strong Democrat, I thought. Um, but he took me aside and was giving me these words of advice that have never left my mind. And he said that um, the Republicans will always tell you where they are. You will know exactly what their position is. 
You'll know how far they can go, whether they can cross the line, when they can, you know, make a deal with you. <clears throat> they will always be right up front with where they're coming from. The Democrats, he said, on the other hand, and this just blew me away at the time. <clears throat> this is like in the late, this is late, early 80s, I guess. And he said, um, the Democrats, however, will tell you exactly what you want to hear, turn around and do exactly what they want to do anyway. That is and what I thought, No, wait, no, no, no. The Democrats are the white hats, right? Well, and, and, and that is what you see, especially with COVID. Although I think the rhino Republicans are the same mm. thing. They're yeah, exactly yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And I always yeah. say, if we could just bring in people who are good people, um, who are actually looking at the issues and forget about left, right, forget about all this crap and actually get down to the issues, no matter mm -hmm. what, the, and actually look at the truth. We all want clean, not, things that aren't dangerous, things that bring solutions to the people. You know, all, all these, we all want pretty much the same thing. It's just that mm -hmm. we get snowed on all these issues. And yeah, we have different ideas on maybe, uh, you know, some social issues and some people are more conservative or religious, whatever. But when you get down to it, what we're fighting is so much bigger than these little, I mean, not that they're little, but they are little, I mean, basic freedoms and them mm -hmm. wanting to kill all of us. And so mm -hmm. that's why I, I, I keep inviting people who are, um, who left the democratic party and say, there's something seriously wrong or who left the Republican party and said, yeah, I, these are just rhino. They're all the same. Mm, they come out of the same pot, don't they? They, really, they do. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It, and they're all in, they have this agenda, but the reason why we got together and I was so impressed with what I published a report that talks about Norfolk, the biggest Navy base now being under NATO. And <laughs> you actually wrote a report on this, a deep report mm -hmm. a year earlier about mm -hmm. how they were taking over our bases and you have more knowledge than anyone I've met on what's actually going on with our military and with NATO and how scary it is that they're actually controlling big, vast amounts of our military and NATO and our Navy is a, is a big part of our military. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's the backbone of our Navy SEALs. Our Air Force flies off those those ships. The Marines the are part of the Navy. That's right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that that's a big prize for NATO. So can you talk about what's really going on there? Well, it's a good question. What's really going on and how did it happen is the question I'm still wrestling with because we really don't know how it happened. The Norfolk Naval Base at the time was the world's largest, I think, and certainly our most important naval station in the world. Um, so how did that happen that NATO just came in apparently, I mean, seemingly behind the scenes and just scooped it up and took control of it um, with no no media, no black, total blackout on That's any media right. attention, no congressional oversight. I went back and I looked at the uh, House and the Senate Armed Services Committee to see if they held a hearing back in, in the day in 18, uh, 2018 or 2019 uh, to see if there were any hearings about it. I could find nothing. So how did this happen? We just really don't know. Um, but it was a very sleight of hand. And it's very scary that this, this uh, project of this magnitude, uh, this symbolic nature, um, and especially um, as it affects the sovereignty of this country, we were founded on this uh, sovereignty of this free nation. 
That's you know, right. our ancestors way back, uh, you know, 1620, came here to get away from the monarchy and get away from that European style of life. And they wanted something different. They wanted some freedom and some ability to have their own country that was theirs. Um, and here we are now losing this piece of our, this piece of our sovereignty to something like NATO. Yes, and it's it frightening. And, I, and the frightening thing is that we just don't know how it happened. So I'd like to maybe just run through some of the chronology, because I think the chronology does speak volumes to how fast this was moving. Yeah. And especially because some of it was during President Trump's time. How did Trump miss this? And I have some ideas about how he might have caught up on what was happening um, just before he was getting just before the 2020 election. <clears throat> but in May of 2017, Trump went to Brussels for his first NATO meeting. And he must have been, <clears throat> when you think about it, he must have been quite, a, quite an upset for the Europeans because here's this brash, you know, bull in the China shop kind of American coming in and telling them basically that you're not paying your fair share. We're paying more than our fair share. Why aren't you paying your fair share? And I'm sure that didn't sit very well. And then the other thing, of course, he did was he questioned NATO's relevance. Why is it relevant today? You know, it was it was come together in the late 40s when everyone thought the communists and the Russians were coming after us. Well, Russia is no longer communist. Um, and that just it's told, charter. doesn't. It's yeah, it's, char it's charter was no longer there anymore, yeah. which was for protecting us against the Soviet um, mm -hmm. threat. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so he he started off with the Europeans in that way, um, questioning NATO, and it wasn't until uh, just six months later that, and this is out of the blue. And how did this happen? This is a big question. How does this happen? The city of Norfolk accepted three new traffic signs and they each said norfolk home of the north american nato headquarters what how did that i mean who told them they could have that who that's told right them to, who put that up i mean where did that sons come from whose idea was that we don't know we don't know where that started and from there the next step was that the uh, nato ministers, and these are the people who are representative of NATO from 30 different countries. NATO was a 30-member organization, 30-nation member organization. So those ministers, those 30 ministers then <clears throat> decided that they were um, going to formally designate Norfolk as the NATO North American base. Now, I'd really like to know, and that was in uh, January of 2018. Now, where, where, who was the American representative there is my question. And I don't know who that would have been. So, because we each, each country has their own person, it probably would have been the, um, the Secretary of Defense is the person who would probably have attended that meeting. So that was the first. That was the first kind of formal step that NATO, NATO itself, took um, to um, establish that new base um, on the Atlantic side. And from there, it goes to it goes to um, July of two thousand nineteen, when the um, 
NATO designated, to, uh, in a formal way, designated Norfolk as their operational command base. So they moved in, apparently. And they did that with the understanding, with the uh, rationale that they were going to protect the Atlantic Ocean because they are the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, not the North Pacific Treaty Organization. So that sort of leaves China out of the, out of the loop here. So, and they uh, established this at that time then with the understanding that they were going to protect the base in, in um, the Atlantic and they were going to protect Europe. They were going to have access to Europe because that Norfolk route is um, more akin to being, being connected with Europe. But six, so that was in July of 2019. Now, what did Trump know at that point? Did he know anything? And I'm not defending Trump, but um, he had a habit apparently of having some staff who did not communicate with him and who did not speak truth to power to him. So did he even know what was going on? And my guess is that he did not. If you think back to those days, his White House chief of staffs, one after another, were I always thought quite questionable. Yes, and I, agree I don't with think you. they were. I don't think that they were um, devoted to him. They weren't devoted to the policies that he stood for. Um, so I think there's some, whether hanky panky or just some bureaucratic manipulation that was going on at that time. But in any case, you know that's a big question about what did Trump know and when did he know it. Um, by September, which is now six weeks before the 2020 election, by September of 2019, the, a rear admiral, a British rear admiral, and an American uh, admiral cut a ribbon to initiate the initial operation of Norfolk as a NATO facility. They cut a ribbon to initiate that. Um, and there was no, as far as I can tell, there was no Trump um, personnel in attendance. That is so amazing. And that nobody Isn't knew that anything. Weird? Now, did anybody since then challenge Congress going, what the heck are you doing? And has anybody addressed it? Or has this been just completely ignored? Well, uh, 17 days before the, <clears throat> before the election, um, the Norfolk Airport, the arrival terminal, I'll answer your question in a minute, I'm not ignoring it, but the NATO uh, airport arrival terminal put up a sign, welcome to Norfolk, home of NATO's North American command. Jeez. You can't miss that so much. That's exactly that, right, yeah. And at that same time, apparently, have hundreds of NATO employees from around the world who were mem certain members of the 30 countries that were part of NATO moved to Norfolk, they and their families. So this is it. This is 20 days, 17 days before the election. So we amazing? have a lot of NATO soldiers on our soil who yeah. we don't know where their allegiance lies. I mean, supposedly, you know, we're part of NATO, but who knows? I mean, that's a scary development. Honestly, yes. because the, if if we get out of line with quotes around that, then they could come in and say, oh, we're taking over. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think there are some people who believe that these UN um, 2030 plans and some of these various UN 
plans you hear, you know, talk about, um, talk about, mention that there's this NATO possibility. Yeah, I look, I look at the New Mexico because I live in Colorado. I see a lot of the new New Mexico license plates on their cars, and I swear they are NATO license plates. They are like we. They are like we. I know this is my mind probably overreacting, but um, they are like maybe not because they're the governor in in New Mexico is very much in that alignment, um, but they are very much like NATO license plates with the very big tall numbers, you know, um, very distinctive, very different from what an American, a usual yeah. American license plate looks like. Well, let me ask you. You know, has there been other bases taken over? Because from Not what that I, I know of, okay, and um, no, with Norfolk, okay, with Norfolk, there there were our biggest, most important base, which yeah. is a big I'm, deal, and they can do a command structure out of there if they wanted to. Yeah, they are mo- They were our. Mo- they are our most important and uh, largest, um, most significant technologically uh, base in the world at one time, at one point, I think they've been surpassed by the Russians now, but, um, it's still a really important base. But then in, um, by 2021, there was a ceremony at the base, which was dedicating the full capability of the Norfolk base to NATO. So this was a more formalizing of that, um, designation. And that was where General Miley spoke up he was in attendance and he gave a speech and you can read it online um and it's really kind of horrendous because it's nothing about peace i mean he's basically talking about it's almost like it's a prep for war you know and you read that and you think now we have ukraine to kind of complicate this issue somewhat but um when you read Miley's speech it's 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 really devastating because he's right there he's right there now how can he be attending this event which is the formal designation of nato as the uh, home base for norfolk i mean how can how does that happen how does that happen does he report to the president or you know um well he when we saw him undermine him too now did now what did he say specifically that was that you remember that was pretty scary in the sense of well it's it like very, they're planning for war versus he's just a neocon instead of peace yeah it was the whole tone of what he said um and i can just read you this one part of it i have at my fingertips now it's the mission of this command to fight the battle of the atlantic what is he talking about it is the mission of this command this is in 2021 july of yeah. 2021 again the uh the mission of this command to fight the battle of the Atlantic and the admirals in charge of the battle. And these are the admirals who will be in charge of the battle for the Atlantic. What is he thinking? Amazing. And I would tell you that the survival of NATO, he went on to say the success or failure in combat in a future war in Europe. And now we look back at, at Ukraine and we think, Oh, these guys have this all planned. Do they have, you know, is this part of the agenda? It looks yeah. like it because because now they're um, adding Sweden and other members mm-hmm. into. Now, let's get back to my question where mm-hmm. I asked, you know, after mm-hmm. that happened, did any members of Congress get 
asked or anybody address it afterwards with what the heck guys, why is NATO now taking control of our Navy? Um, I hadn't, when I did this first research uh, on this story some time ago, I found nothing from any member of Congress, which, which was appalling. But just in the last couple of days, I went online to see if there was anything new. And I found nothing from any member of Congress um, raising any of these issues whatsoever. I mean, how this all got passed the Armed Services Committee? Why do we have an Armed Services Committee if it's not there to deal with something like this? That's um, right. It doesn't make any sense at all. But what I did find was that, I have to have my notes here. I'm sorry to um, disrupt here for a moment, but that, um, and now, you know, there is a French general, at least last I knew very recently, there's a French general who's, who's now the commander of the Norfolk base. The He's pretty the allied, allied commander. commander of the transformation the by the North, yes. North Atlantic Council Philippe, Le, I don't know how to pronounce L-A-V-I-G-N-E, Levigny? I don't know. That's not the way you pronounce it in French. But yeah. uh, he's in charge of it now, right? He is the commander, yes. So we have a and, French guy in charge of our Navy base. Yes, exactly. And that's to be expected, I guess, because it's now NATO and it's now international. And that's how they see this, this whole issue. Well, but I came across... Go ahead. I came across I came across this um, just recently as I was getting ready for for your program, and that is that the um, USS Harry Truman yes is in uh, what do they call it the command the command central group I'm not sure if I've got that exactly right, but they are now dedicated to European they're under NATO command they're basically command of this is a, uh, an article um, that I published. Yeah, it's it's their first, now that it's command of naval striking and support forces for NATO. Yeah. Yeah, and I, can, I, and I was able to confirm that, um, that that fleet is now under NATO command. And what about and that's that? Currently, that's currently, that's not just like for, for the future, you know, thinking that we're going to have this in the future. Yeah, they're doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, is, is pretty scary. And now they're adding all these different countries to NATO as well. So you wonder what the heck is going on. And then where's our Congress? It's as if they're yeah. completely inept. Yeah. I, I Maybe they at the, are. Well, they are completely inept in so many ways. Um, but how did this not, I just, I mean, it's just a huge void there of how did this happen? So I went to the, um, the Senate Foreign Senate Armed Services Committee and the House Armed Services Committee, and I looked at their membership. And their membership is really—we um, have a lot of friends on that, on those committees. How did this get past them? You know, we we just don't have any idea. But then I went into the hearings. You I looked on their website. It. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, or did it really get, you know, past them? They yeah. Maybe they knew. I maybe well, I don't see how they could not have known. Yeah. And so, I mean, it just doesn't seem feasible. And so I went to their committee uh, on website and I looked up the hearings and for the Senate, I could only go back, I think, to sometime in maybe January of 2021. And there was nothing there that would obviously connect you, uh, make you think this is a this is a NATO Norfolk connection. No, there was no title there for hearing about anything remotely like that. And then I went to the House 
Armed Services Committee. And I was able to go back to, I think into 2019, maybe a little bit into 2018, but still running the list of the hearings that they had held at that time, because that's when all of this started really. Mm-hmm. I think back then, except maybe it started even before that. But um, anyway, I could, the short of it is that I could not find any reference that sounded anything like the Norfolk NATO connection at all. Yeah, it really makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah, but then I found something really interesting, um, Sarah, and that is I decided to, for some reason, I decided to go see who was our secretary, who is our secretary of the Navy? Do we even have a secretary of the Navy? And we do. We have a secretary of the Navy. No one I can I have any connection with or know anything about, but John Adams was our first secretary of the Navy. So our Navy goes way back. You know, this is this is yeah. of constitutional historical proportions. And what I found is that something really interesting is that Mark Esper, if you remember back to just around the time of the 2020 election, the president fired Mark Esper, E-S-P-E-R, and he was the secretary of defense at the time. And it was very mysterious because there was no explanation about why the man was being fired. There was no, we had no information about what had happened between them. Um, and so then I found, uh, looking more online, I looked at, um, found that Esper had had a fight with Trump um, some months earlier. And it was about, at the time, it was about Trump wanting to put out military into some of the cities that were having riots, the Antifa and the BLM kind of riots. And so they had this disagreement, apparently, about that. And I thought, though, at the time that, as as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, I think there's something more here. I wondered if he, if Trump finally found out something about Norfolk that if finally the word had gotten to him, because how could he not know? How could his staff not know? How could some member of Congress right. not mention it to him? It doesn't make sense that he, he would be so out of the loop, so totally. And so I thought that maybe that had something to do with Esper's being fired quite suddenly and dramatically. I think it was either right before or right, right after the election, I think, just days after the election. But then nothing so I happened. I mean, now we're still under it. It kind of yeah. reminds me of the whole uh, jab, you know, the whole coronavirus mm-hmm. stupid stupidity, mm-hmm. where even though Trump was running it, it's we're still he really wasn't he well, or he was, you know, I don't know, but he ush- helped usher in this genocide that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So there's I have all these questions on that on mm-hmm. at some point he needs to answer for that. You know, yeah. instead of him always saying, bragging about the jab being good and how he got it going fast and, you know, the warp speed or whatever he called warp it. Speed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point he needs to answer for that because, and soon before the next election that he runs for, because I, I can't, I, I gotta be honest. I don't know if I could vote for him again until he answers what happened there. I'd like an explanation about that as well. I can appreciate that he was probably overwhelmed with this kind of an issue coming up with everywhere. No warning. Yeah. I mean, I can appreciate that. Um, But there was also a story about how Burks got appointed to be 
the coordinator of the committee. Um, yes. And so that's raises questions as well as you say about you know who is who knew what and when the, did they know it and that's certainly true about the NATO NATO Norfolk story someone had to know what was going on someone had to know and then um, once he fires him why can't they roll it back in some way you know mm-hmm. or I mean what is the deal here what, what kind of agreements were signed and mm-hmm. the other thing is uh how does the the senior executive service play into this because I know you've done a lot of research and have experience with them as well. Mm-hmm. And they really are the deep state or the infiltrators, people have infiltrated that and you can't get rid of them most of the time. And so no, Trump was dealing, but... Trump was dealing with that. Right. Yeah. He was dealing with that from day one, really. I mean, that was a huge problem for him to accomplish as much as he accomplished. The, the um, SES they're called are deep embedded federal bureaucrats and i think of them as similar to although they're not really they're much more sophisticated than the teachers union um where you know when a teacher gets tenure they're pretty much untouchable and and, and at a university as well you know any teacher who has tenure they're pretty much untouchable and so the ses is like that and it's part of the what's called the administrative staff and the administrative staff makes up the majority of the federal bureaucrats and the federal bureaucrats now are just, um, and I can't remember the numbers, there are the thousands of federal bureaucrats throughout the bureaucracy. And they are, they are in and they've got great, great benefits. They have pretty good salaries and they are basically in. And there's an issue about how do you remove um, an employee that's not functioning properly. It's really, really hard. And so there's a movement now that's being talked about that this administrative state issue needs to be resolved because these are people who are making decisions regardless of whoever the new president is or regardless of what the new Congress might be wanting to do. These are people who have been in their positions of power for many years and they know where all the buttons are and they know how to push and make whatever wants to happen happen. Um, and the Congress, new members of Congress, especially a new president, especially coming in, um, are really powerless almost to address those kind of bureaucrats who wield that kind of power. And that's what we've been dealing with. Well, and don't they pretty much like if Trump decides something or if a new president decides something, they just go and do whatever they want anyways. That's yeah, what where the don't... problem is. Yeah. They don't have to follow um, orders like Trump wanted to pull troops out of out of Syria and Afghanistan. The Defense Department just didn't do it. You just don't do it. You just nod and walk away and don't do it. Yeah, they don't do it. And then Trump gets mad. And then and, and then the wanted, next. Yeah, go ahead. And he wanted also to uh, put troops out in some of those big cities that were having those BLM and those Antifa riots at the time in the defense, which is something he disagreed apparently with Esper and Miley about. Miley was a a part of this discussion as well. Um, And they just would not do it. They just simply would not do it. So it's hard to to imagine that a new president, for instance, is powerless. We're looking now at DeSantis removing um, a secretary department down there who is not following the Florida law um, and DeSantis sent the police in to remove him from office. And where do you think that's going? Do you think he, I mean, he'll be fine because he's, he actually sent 
the police and to do get the job done. Right, exactly. He wouldn't take, even though the the he was the secretary of one of the health agencies, and even though or the education agency, I think, um, and even though this secretary was not going to follow his orders, um, DeSantis wasn't satisfied with that, and he had him actually removed from the office. Physically That's removed good. from the office. Well, you got to fire people, right? It, it'd be yeah. like running a business and you can't fire yeah. anybody ever. Yeah. How exactly. do you ever get anything done? They just don't do it. And you, there you are. Now, what do you do? Yeah. So as administrative staff or people who are <clears throat> well-versed on the issues, you know, they've been there for a significant amount of time and they own the shop, they think, um, and the election doesn't affect them. And if it's a new president who is not going to make them uh, toe the line and and agree with their mission, then it's it's just a, this huge monster bureaucracy that is really running the show. And what do you do in that case in a federal in a federal situation? Do you then fire all those people? Do you lose all that institutional memory? that yes, really can be fire important, them. you know i know um, it can be important but i'm like uh i i i just once you get used to firing people he knows how to fire people it's yeah just, he, yeah he, he knows how to fire people but you almost you need that experience of knowing who to fire too it's like you mm-hmm. don't even okay well i don't know who to fire here yeah that's the problem mm-hmm. is the people who right who yeah. do we fire do you fire the, the department head or you go lower than that with some of the bureaucrats who, you know, are just as powerful and they're pushing paper, if but they more. still, they still know how to play that game, you know, and that's they really do. critical. Well, yeah, so and that's then a, there you are. So, and, now, Bur- and Bur- Burks and Fauci both came out of that SDS, okay, came out of that, um, that executive group of those high powered, the SES is a little bit different from your usual average kind of federal bureaucrat where the SES people are really the high level professional kinds of bureaucrats who have certain expertise. And Fauci and Burks uh, definitely are part of that. So they've been there and look, he's been there since 85. And she'd been there for, I can't remember how long she's been there, but she'd been there in, in her role not in that position, obviously, but um, sure. just in her role in, uh, as a scientist for a number of years, too. Oh, 40 years. That's right. 40 years. She had 40 years experience with the federal government. He'd been there since 1985. And no one ever thought about, apparently, of saying, you know, folks, you've done a great job. Thanks very much for your service. Bye bye. <sighs> How many of those are still floating throughout the federal bureaucracy in different areas? 